Welcome to the podcast episode, folks. Today, we're going to be talking about hopelessness and having feelings of hopelessness. So unfortunately, this idea, this feeling is quite common, and it's becoming more and more common amongst young people. I want to start this off by kind of understanding what hopelessness is and where it stems from and how it could type in, excuse me, be associated to depressive symptoms in the future. So the first thing that we want to look at when we think about hopelessness is, well, what is hope? Right? To have hope is to have a belief that something's going to get better. It's to have faith in the future. It's to think that, okay, even though my present isn't going extremely well right now, I believe that things are going to get better. Hopelessness is quite the opposite. Why have hope? It's not going to get any better. My situation will not improve. Thus, why put an effort? Right? So I'm not surprised when we look at a lot of self-help books, they say, look, start off by just changing clothes in the morning, brush your teeth, take a shower, make your bed. Why? We're trying to get the individual to do certain things and recognizing the beauty in each and every single one of those little things and getting them out of this habit of why it's pointless. Who cares if I do this stuff or if I don't do this stuff? Like what, what's going to happen if I do or if I don't? In order to better understand this idea of depression, we're going to do uh, two things. The first one is we're going to talk about a case study about a young girl who was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. And this is me paraphrasing her talking to a counselor about what being hopeless is like and what having depression has been like. This young girl at the age of 17 says, look, being hopeless has led me to put myself in danger. The future isn't going to get any better. If anything, it might get worse. So I stopped caring about my health. I've started drinking. I've started substance abuse. I go out to parties and I get so drunk that I don't remember what happens. She goes, even one night I fell asleep and I don't know how many guys I slept with. Mind you folks, this is a 17-year-old we're talking about. The same girl says, I had a boyfriend who I broke up with. And she goes, anytime I meet a guy, who says I'm beautiful or I'm kind or I'm funny, that's it. I'm never seeing him again. There will be no second date. The guys that I look for are guys who affirm my current beliefs about myself and my situation. So if I meet a guy and he says I'm ugly, he says I'm not cool, he says I'm a loser, he says I'm worthless, that's why I want to date. If a guy starts saying, well, look, don't be so down on yourself. Think positively. It'll get better. In the get the hell away from me. These were her words. She goes, I just started uh, being with different guys, not even because I like them, but to stick it to my parents because I know my father doesn't approve of guys like this, so I want to start dating guys like this. Why? Because I don't care. Because I feel empty. Because I feel hopeless. Because who cares? Who cares? I do not care. I don't care about my reputation, my relationships, my health. That's how I feel. So I recognize that was a lot to drop on you, but I want that to be a little bit of an insight as to how someone can begin to think when they become hopeless and why it is very, very dangerous. And it's a very dangerous slope to go down. So if you or any one of your friends are kind of, you're getting this aspect that they feel fatigued, they feel irritable, they're getting pessimistic, what's it all for, who cares, I'm going to fail anyway, be very careful. Because you can go downhill really, really, really quick. And it's one of those things in mental health where 
If we can work on the prevention, that's the best. If we can work on when we see the first sign or two, that's great. The problem is when it gets really deep. And when an individual continues that sort of a thought process, because what happens? Why work out? What's it all for? So they stop working out. Why go out? Why have a relationship? What's it all for? She's going to leave me anyway. So you stop putting yourself out there socially. Do you see, folks, what that does to your, to your behavior? So you start to withdraw and it confirms your beliefs. And you go, look, I knew I was a loser. I knew I wasn't good enough. Look at me. I'm at home. I'm a bum. I'm not in a relationship. I don't work out. I'm overweight. Being hopeless is extremely sad. It's extremely common. And it's a very tricky situation because if you remember that video that I did a couple weeks ago, I said, your friend comes to you or like your niece or your nephew or your little cousin and says, I'm a loser. No one likes me at school, right? If you look at them and you go, no, you're not a loser. That's not true. You're actually pushing them away. So very much like the story about the girl that I shared with you, she's looking for guys to look at her and say, you're ugly, you're not cool, you're worthless. And that's who she wants to hang out with. The moment she met a guy who said the opposite, you are cool, you are good looking, you deserve a good life, she didn't want anything to do with that. So what we recognize as people who are hopeless is they've kind of, it's not even to their own, like it's not like, oh, I'm hopeless because I want to be. It's at some point in their brain they've decided it's just not worth it. What is it for? What is it for? I don't love my wife anymore. Me and my son don't get along. I hate my job. It's cold out. People are in a bad mood. Why? So if you're someone who's in that stage where you're feeling hopeless, I want to say I understand. I empathize with you. There are lots of times in life where you put effort towards something and it's, it's like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's actually a very logical conclusion. Look, if you go fail something and you barely try, that's one thing. But if you put a lot of effort and sacrifice into something and then you fail it, that hurts a lot more. So we got to be very, very, very careful when it comes to things like having hope, right? Looking on the bright side, wanting things to be better in the future. There's a TV show I've been watching as of late. It's called Ted Lasso. If you know, you know. And... This American football coach is in England, and he hears this saying over and over and over again. And the saying is this, it's the hope that kills you. Have you folks heard of that one before? It's the hope that kills you. And I kind of, I remember I paused the screen, I was like, what does that mean? It's the hope that kills you. Well, if you don't know, if you're like me, I, I can explain it to us. What it essentially means, when I Googled it was, if you fail at something, that's hard on on its own. That sucks in and of itself. But if you had hope, if you had expectations of doing well, and then you fail at it, ay, 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 it's so much worse. So they're saying, look, failing at something sucks, but it's the hope that kills you, right? You had hope for greater things and that didn't happen. Like, oh, it, you're done, right? And what the, the beautiful speech that this coach, Ted Lasso, gives at the end of the season, I think he goes, he goes, look, it's not the hope that kills you. You've got it all wrong. It's not having hope that kills you. If you don't have hope, if you don't think you're going to win, if you don't think life is going to get better, then you stop putting an effort into everything. Why make my bed? Why go to school? Why go to work? Why try to be in a relationship if we're going to argue? Why exercise? I'm going to get sweaty. 
Why go out today? It's windy. Why do anything? So he goes, look, it's not the hope that kills you. It's the hope that makes you want to try, that gets you out of bed. It's the hope for a better life. It ties into delayed gratification, right? You believe things are going to get better. You believe things can get better. And if you can take one small step every single day, it's achievable. And it's very pragmatic. And I loved his little speech. He goes, look, don't, don't do this. Don't get into this idea of, I'm not going to have expectations because people can, if you don't meet my expectations, then I'll get upset. How is that any different from my last boyfriend left me and I'm going to be so invulnerable, I'm never going to open up to anybody so I can never get hurt. And guess what happens? You never open up to anybody. You end up being alone and your worst fear comes true. You hurt yourself. So what we recognize is the importance of hope in our everyday lives and how to go forward. What my goal is, is I want to try to bring awareness to how this can happen and how things can start taking a turn for the worse. Here's something in the literature, because depression and hopelessness are very, very closely tied in. There's this nice uh, diagram or this picture that I saw where one person underneath it says what people think depression looks like. And it's just sad, like it's the word sad written. And here's another person, and it says what depression actually feels like. And there's the word sad, there's hopeless, empty, meaningless. Because you fall into this, why do anything? Why brush my teeth? Why get out of bed? Why not just play video games for 10 hours? Why not just drink all day? Having hope is not an easy thing to do. Not only should you have, it's essential, like it's a part of human life. If you go back thousands of years from an evolutionary biological perspective, we have to have had hope. When me and you are going out and we're the, the hunters for our village, if we don't have hope that we're going to catch anything, we go back to the village. We go, guys, look, it's probably not going to work, so we're not going to go out hunting and we're going to starve to death. You have to have hope. And guess what? A lot of those people did starve to death. But if the first thought was, I don't have hope, it's not going to work out, well, man, you're digging your own grave. And when you don't have hope, it is such a tough place to be in because, again, it's not like you, you chose this, right? It's not like you woke up one day and decided, hmm, life's going to hell. I don't want to have any hope for anything, right? That didn't happen. So what tends to happen is people over time, due to these different life events, it's like they get beat up over time. And it's like they get sensitive over time. It's almost like you took one hit and your father passed away and you and your girlfriend got into some trouble and you and your boss aren't doing well. And it's like it's making you weak over time. Imagine old school MMA or grappling bouts where you fight three or four people. Now, symbolically like or metaphorically those three or four people would rec represent different obstacles in your life and it's like by the time you're 30 years old you're so beaten up and so exhausted whether it be physically emotionally psychologically that it takes a toll on you so here's another interesting perspective i want to add to the dimension we have this idea that goes daniel my struggle makes me tougher right the fact that i am so hard the fact that i am so strong is because i went through hardship and I hear this a lot, the, the Joe Rogans, the Jocko Willings of the world. And interestingly enough, in class, we were talking about trauma and the impact that it leaves on your brain and on your central nervous system. And in class, there is a 
There's a theory right now which says if you go through hardship, it makes you more sensitive and weakens you. Let me tell it a different way. When looking at adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17, if they experience depressive symptoms, and I mean a lot of depressive symptoms, because at this point, most people are going to experience depressive symptoms at some point. That does not mean that you have depression, right? Clinical diagnosis is a different thing. You got to experience like, let's say six out of the nine um, symptoms for at least a minimum of X amount of time. That's a diagnosis. But if we're just talking about a depressive symptom, almost everybody will experience it here or there. But in regards to adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17, if they were diagnosed with some sort of depressive disorder, their chance of getting depressed again and having another episode in the next five years was 70%. 70%. So if this theory of I went through struggle that made me harder was true, if you go through depression once, you should be the last person to get depressed again, right? But this theory actually points to the opposite. If you had severe anxiety issues when you were between the ages of 12 to 17, your chances of you having those anxiety issues again increase drastically. That's why they say when things like depression, things like anxiety, things like trauma, if you don't experience any of those hardship stuff by the time you're 25 or even 30, the chances that you're going to have a major depressive episode when you're 31 is very slim. Not impossible, but it's very slim. But if you show me a young person between the ages of, again, 12 to 17, and they're experiencing a major depressive episode, social anxiety, to a really, really high level, not just a little bit, then there's a high probability that they will, these feelings and these thoughts will reoccur as they get older. And not only that, the space in between these episodes will get less and less. For example, girl starts experiencing depressive symptoms at the age of 14 more and more and more and more all of a sudden she goes to a counselor she has seven out of the nine depressive symptoms for a total of three weeks she's diagnosed as having major depressive disorder okay at the age of 14 the chance of her getting completely better or very very good again and then once again falling into a slump by the age of 19 is 70 percent okay so 19 comes around she again falls into this thing this time if she's going to fall into the depression again, it won't be five years. It might be four. It might be three. So then she gets a little bit better. And guess what? At the age of 22, boom, back into a depressive state. She gets better at 23, better at 24, boom, back at 25. Better at 26, boom, back at 27. So what we notice is the space of this, this bummed out phase, this depressive phase, gets less and less and less. The time in between, I mean. And it makes you more sensitive to it coming on. So... I put my hand up in class and I go, well, listen, prof, based on this theory, you're telling us that if we go through hardships, if we go through depression or anxiety at a young age, it makes us sensitive in the chances that it happens to us again, that we won't have as much resilience to deal with other obstacles. Basically, we'll be worse off in the future. What do you think about these theories that say, or these mainstream ideas that go, I'm better now because of the hardship that I faced earlier? Here's what my prof says. She goes, listen, Dan, I like the way of thinking. Meaning, if you think to yourself, I've gone through hardships and I'm better off because of it, it's a very empowering way to think about it and it motivates you to go forward. 
rather than thinking about, well, Daniel said, because I got a really bad case of depression when I was 15, I'm only going to be weaker because of it. So, oh God, I'm going to get depressed tomorrow. What am I going to do? That's a negative way of thinking, meaning that negative state will lead you. It'll throw oil on the hot fire, which is what we don't want to do, right? We want to face the literature and go, look, the data says this. There's a chance I might be worse off. However, now, because I know this is the case, I can focus on my coping mechanisms. Okay, when I faced this when I was 16, I saw my friends, I felt a lot better. I exercised, I felt a lot better. I played guitar, I felt a lot better. So we can think about how we can live this thing. Because unfortunately, depression and anxiety tend to be lifelong disorders. At this point in time, this is what the literature is suggesting. It's not like I dealt with depression by the time I was 16, 18, and that's done. For some people it is, and if that's you, you are extremely fortunate. But for a lot of people, it's a lifelong thing. You're 14, then you're 21, then you're 27, then you're 30, then you're 45 years old. And that's why you hear of people having depression for 20, 25, 30 years. It just up and down, up and down over time. So if I've bummed everybody out with this video, uh, look, that was not my intention to start this, right? We want to bring awareness to this idea of hopelessness and just show you how common it is. But obviously it can be dangerous, right? If we go, if we're too far away, if we've dug the hole way too deep, we want to be careful because getting out is going to be extremely hard. So Daniel, you've talked about feeling hopelessness and a bunch of fancy schmancy stuff around it. What can I do if I feel hopeless? What should I do? Well, the first thing that I will tell you is I would tell any of my loved ones. If you're feeling hopeless, the first thing that you do is you become aware. You accept it. You go, I haven't always been like this. And now I've started to think this way. How long have I been thinking this way? How long has this been going on? That's the first thing you think about. A couple of days, weeks, months. How has my behavior changed over time? Maybe you're working out less. Maybe you're seeing your friends less. Maybe you've been a little crankier at work. Is my hopelessness impacting my quality of life? If the answer to that question is yes, you need to decide if and when you want to help yourself. The question is if. A lot of people don't want to help themselves. It's as simple as that. You do certain things that you know are harmful for yourself. You, you positively know they're not good for you, but you still do them anyways. Because at some point, your brain has decided that the pros to engage in said behavior outweigh the cons. So I will do X. What the job of the people around you who care about you is to recognize that it's you who has to decide to make the change. Like the people who make a change, folks, they don't listen to this crazy YouTube video. They don't take, it's not like they, they follow this set formula. The majority of the time, they literally just wake up one day and they go, okay, that's it. No more cigarette smoking. I'm done. Or that's it. No more getting back with my ex. They make the decision that I'm not going to do this anymore, or this isn't worth it anymore. The problem with that sort of a mentality is it's extremely hard. It's extremely hard to make a decision like that. 
even though you know it would be in your best interest. You know how great you'd feel if you saw your friends. You know how amazing it'd be if you went to the gym. You know how wonderful it would be to go on a, on a daily walk or whatever. And yet you still don't. For whatever reason. A huge one is it's extremely hard. Because if you're hopeless, your brain is going, why? Why should I do this? What's the benefit of doing this? So what? Challenge your thoughts. And become aware that what you think are not facts. Always when you think about things, I used to say this years ago, always say to yourself, is that a fact or is that an opinion? Life sucks. Is that a fact or is that an opinion? Objectively speaking, well, I think that it sucks. Okay. Okay, so maybe that's my opinion right now. Does it always have to suck? Here's the last thing, folks, that I want to leave you off with to be careful of. It's called the hopelessness theory. Meaning, when an individual is hopeless, we generally see three things in the literature. Negative views about themselves, number one. Negative views about their future, number two. And negative views about the world in general, number three. I'm a loser. I will always be a loser. The world is a cruel and terrible place that cripples people. And what we see is these three, it's like a perpetuating cycle, right? Like they, they feed off each other like monsters. So the first thing to recognize is, look, does my life actually suck or is my view just tainted? Am I only looking at the negatives? And look, your, might, your life might actually suck. And, and it's the case for a lot of people. So the question becomes, do I want to put in what I need to put in in order to change my life? Do I want to? Or do I just want to watch Daniel's weekly podcast videos? Think to myself, what a great idea, and then just keep doing what I'm doing. Are you willing to do what it takes? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to have a positive impact on your current life? And you have to challenge your thoughts about yourself, challenge your thoughts about the future, challenge your thoughts about the world. My well, Right now my life sucks, oh, my future sucks. Really? Does your life suck now? Tell me more about that. What does that mean? What does that mean your life sucks? Tell me about everything that's making you angry or upset or frustrated. Well, my wife and my school and the world. Okay, okay. Tell me about everything that's making you feel good. About the only reasons that are getting... Even if it's the smallest thing. Well, I enjoy watching soccer games live and the World Cup was happening and that was great and I was a messy fan and this and that. Okay. Are you willing to put in the effort? If the answer is yes, what is the smallest thing we can start with? What is the smallest thing we can start with? Hey, I noticed that one of the things that was frustrating you was your job, right? What's an extreme thing to say? Well, I can't quit my job. I'm not telling you to quit. Is there a different approach we could have? Is there, can we put you in a different department? Can you, look, instead of showing up late and getting an attitude from your boss, can you show up a little early? Instead of staying late because you want to look like a, like a good employee, but then you're never noticed and you feel terrible, how about you don't stay late anymore? So what are the things that we can change at the littlest, I mean, amount of effort possible that could have the biggest impact on you later on? So be very, very careful of those three things, folks. How you view yourself, how you view your future, and how you view the world. Don't even tell me what your situation is. But if we meet and you say, I suck, my life's always going to suck, and the world's a terrible place, 
you've told me a lot about you and a lot about your habits because that's a guy who isn't working out five days a week. That's a guy who isn't in a happy marriage. It's very hard to be in a happy marriage, have great hobbies, see your friends regularly and think like that. So think about your thoughts and analyze them. If they're true, if you decide that they're true, go, okay, well, how can I lessen this? If 10 means it really sucks, can I bring it down to a nine? Is that possible? Like, can we, it doesn't have to be move to Thailand and start my new life over, right? Can I just, just bring it down a notch? Maybe if I spend less time on my phone at night, maybe that'll work. Maybe I can fall asleep faster, meaning the day after I can wake up a little earlier, meaning I have more hours so I can get an extra workout in. And then I can go to, go to my work, and because of that workout, my mood is now boosted so I can take on stress better. If I can take on stress better, I can think a little bit better. I have more attention. My memory is a little bit better. I'm a little sharper. I will leave you off with that information, folks. We don't want to go uh, information overload. There's going to be a lot more episodes. There's going to be a lot more topics. If you enjoyed this one, as always, I appreciate you. Whether you're listening to this on uh, Apple, Spotify, any other podcasting platform, obviously YouTube. Thank you very much, everybody. Take care, and please stay safe. It's chilly out there. Take it easy, folks. Bye-bye.